Alright, three, two, one. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Nerd Stuff with Ian 2.0 podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ian. And you guys already know what it is. I'm doing the MMA po- doing the MMA podcast today. I think it's episode eight or nine at this point. And I'll probably just I'll probably start changing the name to like the actual event. Instead, like, eh, or whatever, but we'll go from there. So, with regards to, I mean, last night I thought it was a great card. I, personally, at least to me, I knew this one would be a good one, because I felt like the longer you're on Fight Island, the longer you're in Abu Dhabi, the more you have fighters able to adjust and really kind of get used to being out there the better the fights would end up getting. I mean, I felt like even with the Benavidez-Figueredo card last week, like, each one slowly but surely got better. And I feel like now we we got, uh, at least to me, a great card from beginning to end. You know, from seeing the fights with Nathaniel Wood on the prelims, because, I mean, even then, I even thought the prelims were really good. But you guys already know how I'm going to go through it. So I'm going to pick my top couple of fights off the card. Ones I feel like, hey, you guys should check out. I mean, normally I suggest watch the full card like I always do. But, you know, I'll give you five top fights I'm going to pick off the card. So the one that I felt like, at least to me, set the tone and really got the card going Tanner Bozer versus Ravio Pesoza. Dude, Bozer is one of those guys, man. He's twice now. He's just, you know, he's being quick. He's showing a lot. I mean, he's looking good. I'm curious to see where his next step goes. He has called out Morris Green. But definitely check out his fight against Rafael Pessoa. Like, good, good fight. And he shows, you know, he he's fight IQ is getting better and better every fight. You know, he talks about it, he's like, hey, I'm setting up traps, I'm doing better things, I'm hitting the leg kicks. He's doing a lot of great things that you want to see from a fighter who isn't on the bigger side of the heavyweights, who's on the lighter side. And taking advantage of the fact that, yeah, he's not as big as the guys, but he's got to be smarter than those guys. And to me, that always is more beneficial for, you know, fighters who are, at least particularly in the heavyweight division. Because let's be honest here, like, I, I, I look at it like Cain Velasquez, Junior Dos Santos, Stipe, and DC. Those four guys, legitimately, not the biggest heavyweights, even Fedor Emelianenko. But when they hit you, you go out. And they took advantage of the fact that they have the speed and the power. They're not the biggest. I mean, they fight at 240. I mean, they can cut down, maybe fight at 230, 220 if they really had to. I mean, Dos Santos is going down to 205. Last I had checked. So that'll be interesting to see. But we are, you know, when looking at it, 
predominantly, at least to me, a lot of the lighter he lighter side of the heavyweights tend to do better than the heavier 265ers. I mean, yeah, you've got the monsters that are Brock Lesnar, and yeah, you've got like the heavyweights like Mark Hunt who just don't care, <laughs> and then you've got like straight diesel tanks like Curtis Blades, who, in my opinion, is a heavyweight monster and really and truly is not gonna have probably wouldn't get to fight for the title until Ninganu if if Ninganu wins I don't see Blades getting a title shot this is adding stuff in it but if Ninganu loses he's earned it yeah I feel like he probably should fight one more time but that's a different story but uh <coughs> sorry getting back to Tanner Bowser Definitely, I like what he's doing. I like how he's going about it. And to me, I'm curious to see what more he's going to do. He does want more East Green. And I think that'll be a good fight for him. And we'll see where he's going to go from there. Definitely worthwhile. Keep an eye on it. Plus, he's still you know, relatively young in the sport for MMA, at least for people now seeing him. So, get on. So, for people who start watching some of these guys, man, a lot of these up. These fight cards are featuring a lot of, you know, guys who are on the come up. So watch them. Next fight was Tom Aspinall versus Jake Collier. And good lord. Aspinall, man. Literally just destroyed Collier. Knee and then one, two. Like, I went downstairs to grab a drink. My fiance was still watching. And... She goes, yo, you missed the fight. It was that quick. She was like, they just threw a knee to the body and then one, two. I watched it. I was like, holy crap. Like, I saw the replay. I was like, holy crap. Check that out. So that's two good heavyweight matchups back to back. To if you're looking for knockouts. There's a couple of them. I might throw one or two extra on it. Uh, Jesse Runson versus Nicholas Dalby. Good fight. I'm going through the entire card. Definitely good good submission. I mean, it... I mean, Dolby just looked huge. And then... I recommend this fight. This is probably my number two right after... Right after Tanner Bozer. I will recognize Francisco Trinaldo versus Jay... Versus, uh... Jai Herbert. And the reason why I recommend it is... Good finish for Trinaldo, but realistically, in both the Tanner Bozer and in the Trinaldo fights, there was controversy in regards to Herb Dean not stopping the fight when the fighter got, both fighters had gotten hurt. And it got to the point where Dan Hardy, of course, being one of the commentators, he, him and John Gooden, they had, you know, they switch out, you know, hosts and all that stuff because realistically, you know, you don't want to be stuck on a fight island for, or at least commentating everything when you kind of want to have some normalcy. And it happens for commentators and fighters alone who do a lot of the commentary. But Dan Hardy ripped him a new one. He ripped Herb Dean a new one after the Jai Herbert fight just because Herbert got blasted in the third round. And I mean bad. Like, Trinaldo hit him with a shot that, I mean, that 
I guarantee the kid, Jai Herbert, I should say, probably woke up on impact and did not know where he was when he hit the floor. And Herb Dean was like, he looks like he's still defending himself. In which you can make that argument. Because, I mean, his hand's up. And then he, he forced, now Chernobyl was forced on court four more punches. And I'm not saying that's to give Herb Dean a pass. But I'm curious to see what happened and everything like that. And I could see where in certain aspects that could have, you know, happened. But unfortunately, you know, Herb Dean's supposed to be one of the best refs in the world. And I still stand by he is one of the best guys out there. You know, him and Big John McCarthy were some uh, Big John McCarthy were some of the best refs. But definitely check that out, fight out, because you know, even if it had the you know controversial ending with, you know, fighter having to take extra punishment. I definitely feel as though it's worth checking out because it gives you guys kind of perspective of, you know, what I'm going to talk about later, which is should fighters become refs? So we'll go from there. So that's my number two. Then you had Kismat uh, Chimiev. Now, I do recommend watching the full main card. Definitely worth it. But Kazma Chamiev, I would definitely say... I mean, he's my number three fight I pick off the card. Versus Reese McGee. Like, Chimiev, man, good lord. Dude is like a 170-pound Khabib. Like, literally gets in there, just smothers him. I mean, he just did it on 10 days. He just fought 10 days ago, and he's already back in there. And he wanted to send a message. Like, he he didn't submit Rick McKee. I mean, he, he pounded him out. Like, he got position, got top control. And literally, there was nothing else for McKee to do. Like, it was literally just, you're just going to keep taking punches till you go. That was it. And definitely, I'll throw that as my... As my number three. My number four. <laughs> this is a hard one because I'm having to decide between Paul Craig's fight or Alex Oliveira's. Because Oliveira's fight, in my opinion, was a war. Ooh, the, this, is a, this is a tough one. So what I'm actually going to do is I will I'll one-up it. <clears throat> I'm going to add one more extra fight on there. So the top six fights. So, I've got Chamiev. I'm going to throw in Paul Craig in there. Because that was a good fight. For anybody who has not seen Paul Craig, highly recommend it. Dude is... <laughs> literally is a submission machine. And he's just ready to go I'm curious to see where he's going to go next because he's definitely a guy I feel like is you know slowly but surely you know getting some more steam and I'm curious to see more of his evolution he is in all intents and purposes a fan fan friendly fighter so we've got Tanner Bozer we've got Trinaldo we have Chimiev we have Paul Craig 
I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna add one more. So literally for Doom Gustafson. Actually, no. Literally, my last two for Doom versus Gustafson. Check that out because that was a good test to see can Gustafson make it heavyweight, and I think he can. And even though it, you know, fight only lasts two and a half minutes, and Verdum submitted him, in my opinion, he should still hold his head up high because Verdum's a tough test for anybody. I think Verdum is, in all intensive purposes, probably the most underrated dark horses of that top ten of heavyweights. Yeah, he had a bad fight against Alexei Olenek. Because Olenek is also a super great, gra- super stellar grappler. But for Doom, there's a reason why he's a former heavyweight champion. You know, there's a reason why he tapped out Fedor Emelianenko. Why he's the only guy to have ever tapped out Fedor. He was the first dude to do it. You know, he was that guy. Like, I remember watching that fight... With Strike Force, I was texting my brother, and all of a sudden, just it happened. And me and my brother just went nuts thinking about that. So I think that personally, you know, Gus should not hold his head down. I think he's going to come back, and I like him at heavyweight. I think he he did not look bad at all. His movement looked great. He stuffed takedowns. I mean. Realistically, Verdum had to just outweigh him. That was it. I think that with a little bit... Sorry if you hear the dogs in the background. If you... If you really think about it... You know, he is... I mean, he just got out-muscled. That was about it. I think he puts on some extra muscle. You know, leans down a little bit in regards to, like... Some of the food he's able to eat and just bulks up. Kind of what... John Jones is doing currently. Apparently, he wants to go up to heavyweight now. He's kind of willing just to give up his 205 title. I don't know. Whatever's going on with that. But definitely, I thought it was the most intriguing matchup. And I think it was a good matchup for both. Because Verdum can say, hey, I went out on a win. I'm going into free agency. People got to pay me. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him go over to one championship. I don't think he'd go over to Bellator. I don't think that Bellator would pay him the money he deserves. Just not that Bellator doesn't have it. But I don't think that Verdum would... In all intents and purposes, I don't think Verdum would benefit from going over there. I think Verdum should, at least in my opinion, go to Singapore, go to one championship. I think he will get some good fights, and I think he can be their champion. Over there, I think he can fight Brandon Vera and he can, you know, be their heavyweight champion. Just my opinion. Now, I'm going to not put Mauricio, Sh- Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Antonio Rodrigo Noguera on it just because that's more for if you're a big fan of Pride. It's a good fight. I mean, they slugged it out. And, I mean, it's just two veterans from the Pride days just going at it. And if you love Pride, definitely check it out. But if you're somebody who is of the newer fan base or who really is not that interested in the Pride matchups, kind of just seeing two two guys who fought in Pride do it again, then definitely you can skip it. And yeah, some people might find that controversial. 
But I'm looking at it more as a standpoint of not everybody knows the history of like Pride and like Strike Force and everything like that. And you sometimes kind of have to understand that, you know, as much as we love those older fights, those older fights, in all intents and purposes, are fantastic to watch. Because, I mean, that we, we wouldn't even really, we were developing rules on the spot at that point. MMA was developing new rules every day to get themselves better and better. But, you know, it's not for everybody. I put it out there. Definitely, I like the fight. I like watching it. And I wasn't surprised that who won. I think that, you know, who did the right stuff. Just personal opinion. Now, for the main event. And that, to be honest, this main event was one that had me hyped for a while. Because it's a good matchup. It's a good stylistic matchup for the two. Which was Robert Whitaker, the number one middleweight, the former middle UFC middleweight champion of the world. And Darren Till. It was a good test for both. And it was a good fight for both because it gave everyone an example of why was Robert Whitaker as good as he is. You know, he beat Yoel Romero twice. You can argue that the second fight, Romero won. But clearly the first fight, Robert Whitaker won. I mean, he he set the blueprint on how to truly beat a guy like Romero in show it decisively in a very fan-friendly, like, wild, crazy way. You know, in comparison to, you know, Adesanya Romero or Costa Romero, Whitaker's probably been the only dude, at least in my opinion, that realistically, you know, he, he set probably the best game plan. Though it took his legs, I mean, legitimately... Both his knees had gone out because Romero is just so strong and his wrestling is so good. I mean, he messed up both his knees. I mean, he legitimately was not even able to defend his title that much. He only defended his title legitimately against Romero and then lost it against Israel. So literally, two people he fought against. Twice against Romero and once against Izzy. How scary is that when you know... That you've gone 10 rounds with Yoel Romero. And you haven't beaten just once, but twice. You're the only dude that's done it. And yeah, controversy with the second fight. But still. You know. He's the only guy that can say he won. It's, it's tough. But I think that's what made it intriguing between Darren Till and Whitaker. Is what Whitaker were we going to get? We were going to get... The man, the Reaper, that was just annihilating everybody like he was? Or were we going to get the guy that got annihilated by Adesanya? And I think we actually kind of got the best of both. Whitaker, in my opinion, he brought back the Reaper. He got chance to really mentally reset himself. I think he loved the title, but I think realistically, and I stand by this... When you have to, you know, fight at that level for so long and you fought Romero and you have to go through wrestling, you've had to do all this stuff, and you're the champ, and all of a sudden just, after going against the best middleweight, arguably of all time, and I, I want someone to tell me different when it comes down to Romero at that point, 
because who else is coming out there, people with flying knees, doing the wrestling, doing it at 40-something years old, still fighting at the top of the of the, one of the hardest divisions, in my opinion, to do it. Ain't nobody want to fight Romero. Not even Darren Till. He jokingly called out Romero and immediately goes, yo, I'm, I was drunk. I want none of that smoke. And popped back. I don't blame him. I'm like, I'm not about to go up to Romero. Romero's probably one of the nicest dudes. But he's also the scariest dude in the octagon. Because the man is made of just steel and whatever else holds that man together. Like, he's just a freak athlete. But, enough with Whitaker. I definitely... There's definitely some openings, I feel like, that Asanya could have taken advantage of. And Till did. You know, with that... Fly with that rushing in overhand right that he always threw when he rushed in because he covers great distance with that and that knocks out a lot of people. It got Till going to the second round, but Till, you know, he played it smart. He knew his left hand did a lot, but when he caught him with the elbows when he can when he came in, I mean he he hurt him bad. I think if Whitaker didn't clang his head when he hit the ground and woke back up, he might have put him out. And Whitaker even told him, he's like, yo, dude, you hit me with a hard shot. Like, you almost put me out. Like, legit, I woke up, and you were on top of me. But that tells you how hard Darren Till can hit. You know, he's not just a guy who's fighting smaller guys at 70, who he was just blitzing through for the most part, that's not named, you know, Masvidal or Till, or Masvidal or Woodley. You know, he's a legit you know, MMA fighter and striker that, you know, at middleweight, I think that's his division. I think, you know, realistically, he's he's still only, what, 27? He's only going to get better. And I looked at this fight similar to his fight against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I think that stylistically, it's, it's a striking matchup. Whitaker's not afraid to do it. You forget, you know, Whitaker does actually have a, I think if I recall, I think a, uh, not Taekwondo, but I think he has a karate base to go with it. And Till's, you know, not too far. Till might have more of a Muay Thai base, but he understands, you know, how to fight, you know, karate and Taekwondo based fighters. Because, I mean, he beat, you know, Wonder Boy, and that fight was intense because it was a chess match. And Whitaker did something similar. I think the thing that really saved Whitaker was his fight IQ and his ability to really... He mixed it up enough on Darren Till that even with the left hand and the elbows he was hitting him with, you know, it kept Till enough to where he had to really think about it. And apparently Till got his knee messed up. You know, Whitaker definitely did a good strike to the knee that really hyperextended it real quick. And it was just like, and no. Apparently his leg was gone. Apparently, Till held it really well, and Till jokingly said he's like he felt bad for Wonder Boy because he did it to him. And Wonder Boy, for anybody who knows Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson, like you've seen his personality on Twitter, everything like that. He, you know, it's, I mean, he used that against Wonder Boy. He's like, he's like, yeah, that move should be illegal. And he's like, yeah, I don't. He's like, it can shred your leg, and it really can, because, and just to kind of give context for people who were kind of like, how, how so? So, 
when a person's hitting you with a sidekick, like if you see a John Jones, he's definitely done it. But imagine you're stepping forward and somebody just knees you, hits you with a sidekick straight to your knee and your knee goes fully extended backwards. That can take an LCL, an MCL, and your ACL. All, or actually, no, I think it's just your ACL and the MCL. I don't think there's an LCL. I can never remember. But pretty much your knee and cartilage goes. Pretty sure it's your ACL and MCL. I'm sure my uh, <laughs> one of my, my medical friend or my medical best friend, James, he'll probably hear this. And he'll be like, yeah, dude, it's your uh, meniscus. And he'll, he'll start going in depth with it. And I'll be like, yep, thank you. But, uh, yeah. Essentially, if you if you get hit in a certain spot with it, if, you're like, if your knee's not fully going, you know, curled up a little bit or anything like that, if your leg's a little straight and you get hit with it, I mean, that can, that can definitely cause a surgery. And that's, that's not good for anybody. And essentially, Whitaker did it to him, and his knee was just like, well, now I probably have to get surgery. Because he really couldn't put a lot of power in. To be honest, as crappy as it sounds, that's the fight game, unfortunately, is you have to deal with different strikes. And, you know, Till hit it well. You know, he, in my opinion, really impressed me with the fact that he really did all the right things to fight Whitaker. And I think he gave Whitaker a great matchup because it reminded Whitaker that, why am I here? And it was good for both because it gave them both that same question. Why am I here? I'm fighting the best in the world for a reason. And I think anybody agrees both their stocks went up because Whitaker, he got reminded himself like, hey, you had a bad loss against Adesanya. You know, now you're back. You're showing your skill set. Your skill set's not can come back. You're able to reach, reassess. You got better, and now you can potentially make a title run. With Till, same. He can. He's like, hey, I'm not going to hold my head head down because he's like, realistically, I fought the former UFC middleweight and the champion of the world, a guy who fought Yoel Romero twice, and I held my own. I went five rounds with him. I mean, we hit each other with some great shots. And he's like, it was a chess match. And for both of us, I personally, both their stocks went up. That's why I have, like, that's my number one fight to watch from the card. Because it might seem for some people that's boring, but if you really look at how skilled they really are, like, they truly encapsulate the high level of striking that is out there. You know, people see Israel Asanya striking, and you see how good he is, and you throw those two in, I mean, their striking level is pretty high up as well. Now, some people might give Israel crap for Romero fight, but even then, you know, Izzy had to fight a smart fight. He can't go out there, even though, yeah, he talked about knocking out Romero, doing all that stuff. Realistically, in the fight, you know, you can say a lot, but until it happens, you really can't guarantee a lot. You know, there's some people that'll be like, oh, I'm going to guarantee a finish. And some guys can. Because clearly they know a fighter has a big opening, but it just depends. It Really, it's the fight game. You don't know what's going to happen. You can take a, let one leg kick after getting a takedown. After getting hit with a takedown like Carlos Condit. And then all of a sudden, your knee is gone. And you're pretty much Tyron Woodley got TKO on it. 
That's the truth. In regards to it, but definitely check out the main event for that man. It's a it's a great fight. Shows you how great both fighters are. Now, who do I think that Till should fight next? I'm gonna start with Till because for once, this actually isn't who I think should who should fight who next. Because this is really the only one I feel like that was that was truly ranked and actually had repercussions for the next fight. I could talk about the Esparza one, but really not because I mean it wasn't a bad fight, but it definitely a little boring. For some people. Definitely worth checking out. I mean, I think as far as it did the right things, I still feel like her opponent, which was... Uh, let me bring up her name. I can never... It, it's a problem with trying to remember everybody's name. Uh, Marina Rodriguez. I definitely feel as though she... I mean, by the end of it, I felt like she did more, but, you know, unfortunately, takedowns and control is what Esparza does best. And I can't really say, hey, I'm taking that away from her. Because unfortunately, at the end of the day, you're in the fight. You have to stop your opponent from, you know, utilizing their strengths in order to make them fall into your strengths. You have to make their weakness, their, you know, strength, their weakness at that point. You have to take that away from them. So, for Till, I'm going to start with him. Uh, it'll depend on how long Till is out. I would say, you know what? I will give him give him Chris Weidman. I think think that you know Weidman wants to go back down to eighty five. Give him Weidman. If not, personally, and just depending upon. You know how it goes. I would say this is just my thought. Given the winner of Edmund Shabazian versus Derek Brunson, that that's gonna be a good fight. If not, if let's say you know what, and it, this is just predictions. I I definitely feel like the winner of Edmund Shabazian versus Derek Brunson should fight Till. If not Gastelum, I think those are two great fights for it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see... Like, I don't want to throw Tilda Romero, because I think that would be a good one. But I also feel as though... Till, in my opinion, in regards to that fight... I think he needs a little more confidence. I mean, he has confidence now at middleweight because realistically when he fought Gastelum, Gastelum realistically is a 70-er, but his natural weight class is 85. He just has a hard time cutting weight. That's just the truth for 170. And Till showed, like, hey, I can, I can do it. I wouldn't give him Romero. I would personally, if for whatever reason they were like, hey, let's... uh. If for a reason they just skip, you know, can if Cannoneer is forced to not be the backup, give Cannoneer Romero. That's the fight. I would give. I would give freaking Till the winner of Brunson and Chabazian. If not, 
give him the loser of that as well. I don't think either. I don't think either of those fights would be bad. I think this way he kind of build himself up. If not Weidman, those three fights would make the winner either Sabajian, Brunson, or Weidman. I mean, those are good three fights for him. Just being honest. For Till. Now for Whitaker. Jack Hermanson. Jack Hermanson, the Joker. I mean, even though he got destroyed by Cannoneer, Hermanson's still a guy that, man, it's 2019. You know, if he didn't get blasted by Cannoneer for 2019... He's a guy that had a great 2019, and he flew under the radar for a lot of people. I mean, like what I talked about last week, you know, he, I mean, he submitted Branch. He completely had a five-round shutout of Jacare, and he's a great fight for Whitaker. I think that they match up stylistically very well, and I think it gives the UFC a chance to let... Whitaker kind of get at least a two-fight win streak if Hermanson, if he gets past Hermanson, or gives Hermanson a chance at a two-fight win streak. And I think that it gives both of them a chance to just chill and sets up another great opponent for Israel. And why I chose Romero versus Cannoneer, why I think that fight's a great fight, is realistically, it makes the most sense. I think Cannoneer, he needs a big fight to come back to. He needs somebody that makes sense. And that's somebody who is the scariest dude in the middleweight division. You know, why not give him Romero? Yeah, that's throwing, you know, bait to shark. But, you know, Cannoneer is a freaking monster at 85. Once he blasts you... I mean, you're out. There, There is no way going back. And that him going against Romero would be a great one. Because if he's the dude that knocks out Romero, I mean, he who's going to be like, yo, you don't deserve a title shot? <laughs> like, uh-uh. Like, people are going to be like, yo, no, you fight next. Like, that. that's how tight-knit this division is. So you've got Till, Cannoneer, Gastelum, who if Gastelum even gets a good win, you know, gets one or two good wins back-to-back, he can fight for the title again. Costa, Whitaker, and Romero. And Hermanson. That's seven dudes. That's legitimately the top top seven fighters of the middleweight division stacked for Adesanya to fight. I mean, yeah, Adesanya knocked out Whitaker. But they can always run it back. Yeah, w- yeah, Asanya had kind of a boring fight against Romero. They probably wouldn't make that the main, but they would definitely make that a co-main. And you never know what could happen next. You know, Romero, in my opinion, had to step up a lot of different stuff. But, hey, it is what it is. I definitely think it would be a good card, <clears throat> regardless. Man, just... Just thinking about the middleweight division's top seven at that point is just ridiculous as is. So, mm. yeah. So, that's everything how I'd set up matchups, everything like that. 
Now, let's get to the topic of today. Should fighters become refs? After, you know, Dan Hardy's going off on Herb Dean, everything like that. And for people who don't know, Herb Dean actually used to fight. So he knows the fight game. I I think personally more fighters should become refs and judges. Because I think that it helps out both. I think that not that a lot of fighters should become judges. I think that they would help out with judging. But I think a lot of judges need to go through some seminars. Now, this is not going to be completely on oh how MMA judging is horrible or anything like that because that's, you know, end of the day, 10-plus system, it's very hard, and unfortunately, you can't guarantee who's got what and who's going to do what and what another ref sees, unfortunately. And there's... 10,000 ways to try and figure it out. And unfortunately, no one truly has like the definitive, this is how you fix it. Like I made the argument with my brother when I was talking to him one day, what if there was eight refs around the octagon? On all eight sides. And you had three that were backup, but five would watch the fight. You wouldn't know which five of the eight. But you'd have backup, so in case if somebody did go had to go or something like that. You don't get the same refs for every fight. You get mix-up. You get changes. And allows for fighters, at the end of the day, to get get judges that where they can take a fight off, reassess, and see, hey, how would I have scored this? They're still scoring, but they're able to more or less... Change it up. You can still get eight refs around it, but you switch it up between each one. Maybe you still have the... Maybe you go from three to five refs judging each fight. Yeah, you'll have some people where like you'll, you'll get a lot of overlap from judges. But at the end of the day, you can guarantee, at least to me, you can get better decisions and better chances of getting, you know, consistency... With all eight sides being watched, judges being there, watching the fights, and you having more people to look at a fight, not as many, we're all scoring it, but able to, hey, if this guy's messing up, if this guy's making poor decisions, this guy has some sort of vendetta against somebody, he can go, you're not losing a rep, you're not losing a judge, you have extra, and you've already got an extra scorecard, so you're good. So, at least to me, that'd be one way, but then again, you never know. Plenty of other ways. Now for refing. Bad refing is going to happen anywhere, whether your sport is you, whether your sport's MMA or <clears throat> your sport is football, baseball, whatever. It's, you know, with refereeing, it's just going to happen. You know, some people can... <clears throat> sorry. Some people can make arguments that, <clears throat> man, sorry, running out of running out of uh, water. I had to take a quick drink for refing. You know, people are going to make the argument that more former fighters, more former players should become refs, and I fully agree. 
because I think that that helps out the sport. And particularly for MMA, you need that. Like, you need more people <clears throat> who fought formally to do it. And I think it does help. It also gives a chance for new blood to come in there. I mean, personally, I think a guy who's done a great job of transitioning from fighter to ref is Frank Trigg. He fought the very top. I mean, he fought Matt Hughes twice back in, like, the early days of UFC when the 170 division was, you know, just coming into what was coming with Matt Hughes, with GSP, Matt Serra, all of them back in the day. And he made a great transition over. I've hardly ever seen any bad ref moments from him. He's on top of it. And to be honest, I would not be mad to see like a guy like Dan Hardy do it. I think that if, you know, personally, if you feel a way about a ref, if you feel like a ref's not doing their job properly, if you don't feel like that they're, you know, properly monitoring, which a lot of us have seen, then a lot of these fighters should be like, hey, well, I'll just take the refing classes. I'll go through it. I'll look through it with, you know, go through the seminars with Big John McCarthy. I'll do all this, this, and this. And that'll benefit a lot of people. And overall, I think that it will allow for fighters who want to complain about bad refing to get held more accountable. It'll show them, like, hey, this is the different side they should be seeing. Also, force refs who have had their positions for a while, who haven't, fought, who haven't fought in a while, or who've never fought, to truly get held accountable because now they're getting their job to technically be taken. You're building competition. And on top of that, job might prevent not them losing their job completely, but allow them to grow as a ref and understand... This position that this guy's in, this guy's clearly out. You need to watch this better to prevent more, you know, head trauma and injury to fighters at the end of the day and pretty much protect the fighter and fighter safety. Overall, those things right there would greatly or would greatly change with more fighters converting over to being refs. Now, unfortunately, with that same sentiment, there's the double-edged sword. Yeah, you have more fighters who, you know, will think of fighter safety, but you also have the guys who will look at that and be like, and be like, I know this dude. He's tough. I gotta let him go out. Like with Dominic Dominic Cruz and Henry Cejudo with uh, what's his face? Uh, oh my God. It's no 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 nonsense Keith no nonsense Keith Peterson, you know Dominic Cruz gave him crap because he's like yo I want to go out I don't want to be, you know I don't want the fight stopped when I'm trying to get back up. You know he's like I if I'm out I'm out let the call it. Unfortunately, the ref's job is tough. Is you cannot give one fighter a different set of rules when realistically you as the ref you have to watch it all now this isn't to defend herb dean or a lot of these guys but i think that personally if you want to fix you know complaints about refing and you know bad stoppages by refs and all that stuff more fighters 
should convert over to being refs. Learn the refing system. Learn how to translate that over and fix issues. Because the only way you're going to fix the issues that are out there is if fighters and refs and judges all come together to better understand and put forth the ideas that what MMA should be like. Hey, if you're a ref, if you're a judge and you're seeing that, and this is just throwing it out there for fighters who want to become judges. If a judge who's never fought in their life goes, yeah, I feel like that takedown should count for it, but the dude immediately pots back up, that takedown probably shouldn't count as much as a takedown from a guy like, we're going to go Chimiev, where he just got McKee on the ground and dominated him. That takedown counts way harder because he controlled him, took him down, held him down, and did damage. You know, a simple trip and takedown, and if the guy's getting back up and Amelie's popping back up, at that point I feel like the takedown should be not as heavy. But yeah, you got it, but did you control that guy? Did you take advantage? And fighters can help out with teaching judges that. They can help judges be like, hey, let, let's let's go through a fight together. And they can subjectively go through it and help each other get better. And, be like, hey, and if a judge is like, no, I think this takedown should still count, even though it you know, was not super effective, but he was able to take better advantage. If he wanted to take him down, he did. Yeah, the guy kept getting back up, and yeah, scourging to the wrestler that the wrestler can't hold him, but if he's able to get him down at will, and even if it's a little bit of damage he's able to get off, but the other guy's not really doing enough to really stop him from it, then you can make arguments on both sides. And I think that'll help out all parties. Same thing with refing. I think some fighters learning how to ref and properly doing at the highest level helps out the organization, helps out all organizations, whether it's Bellator, 1FC, you know, UFC, PF, PFL, any of those organizations, man. It will go in and <clears throat> change up bad stoppages and ultimately it'll hopefully cut back on a lot more bad stoppages whether early or late and hopefully it'll hold both fighters and refs accountable for hey I want my you let me go out you're going if I'm going to get knocked out I'm getting knocked out holds both of them say say like nah man I got to protect your safety and it gives both of them the chance to as much as they want the warrior mentality to probably think about their health going into when they're retired after maybe a five to ten year you know maybe a little over that MMA career because there's some MMA careers that don't even last that long there's some guys that can do it for long but other people it's not for everybody just being honest so hopefully with you guys taking from this is there's still so much to get fixed. So many things that constantly can get changed. And it's tweaks that could be done. But it's not something that's impossible. So, with that being said, hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully you guys, you know, feel like you guys gained a little more from it. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Later.